0: God's Word that we'll be considering this morning is that section from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, you can open that in your service folder if you want to follow along, or you can, uh, can open that in your own Bible if you'd like to join me in taking a look at God's Word. This morning, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth, for your Word is truth, and we know that apart from the truth, no one can see God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I still think that one of the, the greater or the, the more significant moments of crisis in my life and you're going to laugh at this when I say it so don't don't you know just be forewarned uh, one of the more significant moments of crisis in my life was when the first time when people really said to me you know I don't like you or, or we don't like you I thought to myself wait a second this is the 21st century are we really allowed to not like people I mean don't we have to like everybody And, and, you know, that was the first time a dawning realization came. on me. no, I don't have to like everybody. Whoa. Uh, But, of course, there's been lots of other little crises along the way since then. You know, the first time that that a girlfriend broke up with me, you would have thought that my world was ending. I was just done. Uh, Or when I lost my my first job and they said, fine, you know, okay work, but we don't need you anymore. Go on. What? What do I do with myself? Uh, And... And I know I'm not the only one to go through these kinds of crises along the way in life. Um, I think about think about a, a, a you know people who have gone through a divorce and they're going through that that soul searching process of rediscovering their identity on their own. Uh, I heard a st- an incident from a pastor one time when he was speaking. Uh, with a, a young lady. She was going through some pretty significant depression. She was a young lady. Uh, and it turns out that she was going through a number of boy issues. And the pastor tried to encourage her and say to her, you know, God loves you. Jesus came. He lived and he died and he rose for you. And uh, you can take confidence that no matter else, whoever else likes you or doesn't like you in life, God loves you and he, he really deeply cares about you. And she said, Pastor, what good is any of that when none of the boys will look at me? Uh, or there's even the, the crisis that you know one young man went through. He was losing his family, and he says to himself, um, "I don't, I don't know who I am apart from my family." We all go through these moments of crisis, and and maybe maybe they're external crises, but a lot of times they're even the internal trauma is is a lot worse. What was your most recent moment uh, of? crisis. Uh, if you want, as you, we begin today, you can open up your service folder and there's uh, some blanks there. You can fill in page seven. Otherwise, you can just think to yourself, what, what's a, either the crisis you're going through or a, a recent crisis that you've experienced? And you can just say, my recent crisis is? Maybe you say, my life has no crises right now. I'm a little, you know, jealous of you. I hope so so, for your sake. All right, so maybe you got a crisis there because what God shows us today is a person who runs into a pretty significant crisis in her life. And her name is Hannah. She lived about a thousand years before Jesus. And the the crisis that she runs into is that she and her husband are infertile, they're unable to have children. Uh, and and that's, that can be a pretty big deal. You know, I know a number of couples who are un- infertile. They're unable to have kids. Uh, and it definitely produces a crisis in their life. But it, what we go through is nothing like what Hannah would have gone through. See, Americans, we live in an individualistic society, which means that in our culture, the things that give us meaning and significance and value are personal items. My, my intelligence, my sense of humor, how cool my car is, my good looks, uh, my house, you know, my 401k. These are the things that say to me, I'm a meaningful person, I have a meaningful life, and I'm significant, I'm valuable. Uh, but Hannah lived in a collectivistic culture or society, which means the things that told her that she was important were family things. It was all the family stuff around her. It was her family's reputation. You know, it was, it was the sense that people had when you walked into town and they said, oh, you're a smith. And everybody said, you're a smith? Right? That was what made Hannah feel like she had value. Uh, it was her family's legacy. It was the honor or the shame that she uh, brought to her family. Those were the things that told Hannah that she was valuable. The problem was, for Hannah, there was no one else. I mean, she had her husband, but there were no kids. She was not adding anything significant to the value of society and this produced for Hannah a huge crisis. One commentator said that here's how Hannah's life would have been. In a culture where value and security was determined by family, Hannah can't have kids. Practically speaking, she has no significance, no life, and no hope. Wow, Do you hear that? No significance, no life, and no hope. That's pretty bad, isn't it? That is, that is really hard. Right, so that's where we are today. Hannah has this crisis moment and God uses it to ask you and me, when we hit crises in our lives, how do you get through them so that you have peace on the other side? And just to give you a little teaser as we get started here, in the end, Hannah gets what she wants, what's going to tell her that she has significance and value and meaning, and then she gives it away. She has found that much peace that she gives it away. So that's cool, and and let's see how it comes. So how do you handle the crises that you face in your life? What do you do? do? Here's one example I heard from from somebody. Uh, A a Christian man, he was actually on the way to becoming a pastor. He was describing uh, his his years of growing up and he said he grew up as a christian he grew up in the church uh, and and yet the thing that he missed probably out of his his growing up years was he didn't significantly repent and so he was he was starting to become a, a, an influential leader in the church uh, but he was still drinking pretty significantly uh, he was sleeping with the woman that was going to be his wife and he had a number of other habitual sins and one time a, a mentor came to him and said Chris, how do you do it? How do you travel all these places all over the country, because he was traveling a lot, with your girlfriend and not sleep with her? It was kind of a crisis moment for him, and you know what he said? We just don't sleep together. We just don't sleep. And it was a flat-out lie. They slept together all the time. Isn't that what we do a lot of times when we face either a, 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 a big or a little crisis moment? And, and why do we do that? I mean, really, why do we do that? Did any of you get told by your parents as you were growing up, well, you're going to go through hard things in life. People are going to ask you tough questions. You're going to go through difficult experiences. But be sure to avoid them. Just avoid them. You know, they're not, they're not going to be helpful for you at all. Just avoid them. Nobody's parents told them that. Um, or or take, take one of the most popular educational tools that's used in our urban schools. It's a system called Love and Logic. And it's It tells the teachers to say to the students, I'm going to give you freedom to make the choices that you want to make, and then you need to deal with the consequences of their choices. And so from a little age on, the students are taught, here's the consequence of a decision that you make. And that way, when they get to be in, in high school years, and they've got drugs and all kinds of other violent things, they're used to dealing with consequences from a very young age. We know you've got to go through the tough stuff to get better. Uh, One last example. There's a a researcher, her name is Brene Brown. She's got this Netflix TV show. Don't you wish you had a Netflix TV show? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Here's my life. Um, So she's got a Netflix TV show and she says that the way really, you know, to, to handle the stuff of life, the only way that you're going to be able to cope with life is if you cope with the anguish and with the disorder and the the struggles, you go through all the tough stuff. That's the way to become the person that you're supposed to be and that's the only way you can really cope with all the turmoil in life. All right, so all of these smart people tell us that you've got to go through the hard things and yet what do we do when we come to the hard things, to the crisis moment? The one man lied. I know what I tend to do is, is when I can't encourage one of you and give you the support that I want, I get angry. I just get angry at myself and at the world. I just blow up. Um, Somebody else, I know he was a a leader of an organization. And as he was, he was invited to speak at a conference one time and to tell the story of his organization and how it developed. so he gets up there and he's telling the story and he portrays himself and the organization with great confidence and, and mastery and control of the situation. And he reflected on it later and he said, I said nothing about all the weaknesses, all the failures, all the mistakes we made. I mean, it was an incredible struggle. So what did he do? He just ignored all the bad stuff and he exaggerated all the good stuff. Isn't that how we normally deal with our tough stuff, our crisis moments? Now look at Hannah. Look at Hannah here. Um, Hannah is offered one of those ways out of the tough situation. Uh, an escape from it, so to speak. Hannah's husband, verse 8, comes to her and says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So you can hear what Hannah's husband is saying to her. He's saying, hey, look, yeah, I know you want meaning and value and significance. I can be your meaning and your value and significance. Don't I mean more to you? Transfer all of your pain, Hannah, to me, and I can bring value to your life. Now, Hannah is in huge pain right now. Significant pain. Hannah's dealing with a a lot of brokenness. If you read through the the lesson, I mean, you heard how much she's going through. Uh, In verse 6, we hear how her other wife irritated her. This is not like one mosquito, you know, that's just, and you squash it. She's like in a swarm of bees that's coming after her or a, a, a hurricane that is, is threatening to push her over. Uh, it's, we hear that she is in deep anguish. She weeps bitterly uh, and she cries out to God. Hannah's inner life is filled with terrible agony. Uh, Her her inner life has to be characterized by a a hurricane tearing up the seas. She has all this pain. And and how does God want her to deal with it? God calls her to to process that pain, not to run away from it, but to process it. See, when when her husband offered her all of that food, what did Hannah do? Offered himself? Hannah she said this, she did this, they were eating and drinking in Shiloh and she stood up. In her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord. She was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So what did Hannah do in her deep pain? She, she took it to God. She, she prayed to God in her pain and the pain was so bad that it took away her very voice, right? Her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. That's how much she hurts. Remember here, Hannah didn't do anything wrong specifically. I mean, I'm sure Hannah fought a little bit with her, her f- fellow wife. I'm sure she squabbled with her husband, you know. I'm sure she, she messed up sometimes taking care of her kids, but We don't know that Hannah did anything specifically wrong to bring her to such repentance. But Hannah, she she embraces repentance. She comes to God in in silence. And repentance is often that simple of a thing. It's simply turning towards God with a very simple, basic prayer. And repentance takes away her breath. Did you catch that? See, that's the difference between what all of the, the, the very smart people around us are going to tell us to do when we face tough stuff and what God tells you and I to do. All the smart people around us are going to tell us when we face tough stuff in life, they're going to say, go through it, right? You, you got to go through that because that's what's making you better. But, the, but there, there's an implication. They're saying that you got all this bad stuff up top in you and the good in you is way down here and so we got to get rid of the bad first. And what God says to you is, no, it doesn't work that way. God says, you're bad the whole way down and what I need to do is i got to get all the bad out of you. He, he uses this word, this deep anguish, that word deep anguish, it actually means, or it, it really means she breathes out a bitter breath or her bitter life so what Hannah does is, is her bitter breath, God pushes out of her through the pain. Her whole life that is bitter and painful and full of agony, she, she has to breathe it out of her, get it out of her very soul and her body because it is so bitter and corrupt and, and filled with sin. Right? God uses the pain of her life to push out the bitterness that is, is deep within her. That's what repentance Really is, And that's what God calls you and I to do as well, to, to process that pain that we experience and to push out the very breath that is so bitter in our hearts. And when she does that, God brings her incredible peace. You probably, you probably heard it, you probably saw it in this, uh, in this lesson. God offers Hannah peace. He says to her, go in peace. Verse 17, right? And, and, and Hannah, we know she has peace because she walks away. God gives her the, the blessing of a child within a short time. And then did you see what Hannah did with that kid? See, the end of the story is so awesome. The kid that Hannah gets from God, Hannah takes and gives right back to God. Samuel is the baby and she takes the baby Samuel and she gives him to Eli in the temple and he lives in the temple all the time. It would be like one of you giving me your kids and saying, Pastor T, this kid is going to be a pastor and I want you to raise him your whole life. He's going to live here at church and he's going to do that from the time he's going. Would you, could you imagine, think about the peace that Hannah has to have to be able to give away her own child. How awesome that is, huh? How incredible. All of the breath that Hannah had that was so bitter in her life, God pushed it out so she knew it an awesome piece and could give away her own kid. Wow, that is cool. See, and that's why our our next fill-in for today, if you want to take it, is that God takes our breath to fill us with his life. See, I want to make sure that we see this See, did you catch what happened? God pushed out the breath from Hannah's life through the pain. And then what did God do? He put a baby in her. He gave her new life. Right, So her own life goes out and God says, my life is better. I'm going to give it to you and it's going to fill you up from the inside. Then Hannah experiences such peace, such satisfaction and meaning and value and significance with God That she can give away the gift because she still has the meaning and the significance and the value. She has God now and she doesn't need anything else. There's an old pastor, Dwight Moody, who had a a really good uh, illustration to help with this. He, He took a plastic cup one time to a group of people and he said, All right, I got this plastic cup here. How do I get the air out of the cup? So, how do I get the air out of this cup? Some of you are pretty smart engineers. Uh, you know, you could try to seal the cup, couldn't you? And then take a vacuum to it and try to pull all the air out of it. Uh, somebody suggested that you could, you could try to blow a fan in it, maybe, and, and all the air would you know, kind of come out real quickly. Um, somebody said, well, maybe you could put it down like this and kind of suck all of the air out. Uh, it, Moody said, though, well, the problem is, right, if you put a vacuum on it, what happens to the cup? You crush it, don't you? The, the crush cup is destroyed. You know how you get the air out of the cup? It's really easy. Right? You cheat. You fill the cup up with water. What's God doing here? What God does for for, Samuel, with, for Hannah with Samuel in a very little way is what God does for you and for me with Jesus. God sends Jesus into this world and, and he pours out his own life. And what does Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? We read that he is in deep anguish and he prays to God. See, Jesus is doing, he's pouring out his soul so that he can pour his life into you and into me. And the more your soul is filled with his life, the more his life fills you up, the more your own bitter breath and air will be pushed out of you and you will know his peace. There's a a beautiful promise here for us, isn't there? Repentance is hard. It's painful. It's hard to embrace the brokenness that we see in ourselves and to process the pain that we have to go through because we make mistakes and we don't do the right thing and because we live in a sinful world. But I can promise you that you will not lose out on anything as you practice repentance. You will have a forgiveness that soothes all of your troubles. You will have a righteousness that lets you stand in all of the storms of life and probably most importantly, you have a life that fills you with life and vigor and vitality even as your own life seems to fade away. Won't that be awesome? And someday, someday God will return and he will take away all of your brokenness. And the pain that you and I experience, the pain that's outside us and the pain that's in our very own hearts, right? It will be overwhelmed and consumed and subsumed by the peace that passes all understanding. And so for now, he just invites us to, to process the pain, to embrace the brokenness. Because brokenness brings us blessing and pain is the pathway to peace. And God has a peace for you that will never end. So let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we often face great hardship, brokenness and pain in our own lives. And when we we hate to see how much trouble that we cause to others. We ask humbly for your forgiveness. And, And perhaps also we ask that you would let us experience and embrace the pain and the brokenness that we cause, that we might see healing and peace in our own lives. Bring us through that process of repentance so that we might know the joy of your peace, a peace that passes all understanding and our hearts and our minds will be at rest. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.